Matthew chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. We're going to just spend the rest of tonight on these verses right here. Now, as we saw last week, when Jesus healed people in each instance, there was a purpose and a reason. He was teaching people with each healing. And you're going to see that as we continue in our study of Matthew, because there's a lot more healing that's going to be going on. But in each instance, he's teaching something. We also saw that there's no formula to give us the power to make him heal when we want him to, but that we also miss out on much that he desires to do because we don't ask. And that's kind of recap where we were last time we met together. Now, in our passage for tonight, we see Jesus go to Peter's house and heal Peter's mother-in-law. But all he does is just touch her hand and the fever left her. Isn't that interesting? Just touches her hand and the fever leaves her. But she didn't start to feel a little bit better. She was so instantly healed, she had the energy to rise up and get right to work. I want you to see that because they're, they're, God has that much power that he can just say the word and you be healed. But again, he has different reasons and different purposes each time. Some of you know that I've been dealing a little bit with back issue and uh, I've got a herniated disc and I've got sciatic pain that's been running down my leg. And it's been going on now for well over a month. But this isn't the first time this happened to me. Actually, about nine years ago, I had it as well. And it was even worse at that time to the point that I finally, with shots and all this stuff, could not get it to get any better. And back then, I couldn't stand, sit, lie down. There wasn't a position I could find to get comfortable. Finally, they scheduled me for surgery. And I went through the whole process, and I was in the surgeon's office while we were finalizing the last little bits, like, like surgeries, like a day or two away. And while we were in the surgeon's office, I literally felt pain, uh, heat go through my body, and the pain not only went away, my right leg, which had become dead, I couldn't do a calf raise or anything. There was no strength. All of a sudden, instantly, strength went right back into my leg. And I mean, it was like, it, I wasn't praying. I, I, I had already decided we're going to have to have surgery to get this thing fi fixed. But God, in his purposes, in his mercy, in his grace, he actually just healed me. And I actually turned to the surgeon and I said, Doc, I just got healed. I said, I just got sitting right here. I just got healed. And, it, and, I, and I stood up and I said, look, look what I can do. And before I couldn't have done that. And he, he wasn't a believer, of course. And he said, uh, he goes, well, if, if your back's starting to feel a little bit better, we might want to hold off on surgery. I said, you don't understand. It's not a little bit better. I've been healed. And I want you to understand that God has that kind of power. He can just say the word. He just touched her hand and she didn't start to feel a little bit better. And oh, good. God healed me. You know, a few days later, she felt so much better, she got up and started to just use her gifts and started serving him. But the Bible also goes on and says that that night they brought to Jesus. Oh, and by the way, in case you're curious, he hasn't chosen to do that this time yet. It's been well over a month. Oh, and I've asked and I've prayed and I believe that he's able to do it. But if he says no, he has a reason and he has a purpose. A lot of cool things have been happening through this episode as well. And again, remember, in each instance, what is Jesus doing? 
teaching. He's teaching us something. Again, we keep looking for the formula that makes us God, where we can tell him when to do what. As you're going to see tonight, we're going to go deep into this discussion, and we're going to talk about something that a lot of us have heard Christians quote over and over, and it comes out of this passage a little bit. So that night they brought to Jesus people who were sick, and he healed them. He also cast demons out of people who were oppressed by these demons. Now, let me just remind you, sometimes sickness is tied to demons, other times not. Uh, most of the time, though, demon oppression manifests itself in mental struggles and dangerous behavior. And as you hopefully all understand, ultimately all disease and sickness and death can be traced back to Satan. You do understand that. There would be no sickness and death if it weren't for Satan and his purposes and Adam and Eve falling prey to them. But at the same time, I want to show you that scripturally, there are times that sickness is tied to something Satan's doing specifically. Let me, let me show you what I mean. Go to Genesis chapter 2. We'll lay the foundation of what I just referenced. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 2, look at verses 15 through 17. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall eat it, shall sorry, not eat it, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So again, you all know this pretty well. God made man, put him in the garden. Said you can eat from any tree in the garden, there's only one. Don't eat of this one tree. The day you eat of this one tree, the day you'll surely die. Genesis chapter 3, look at verses 16 through 19. This is after they've both eaten. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. And you, sh you shall eat your bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust. And to dust you shall return. Now, God had told Adam that on the day that he eats of that tree, he'll die. But here it is, a couple days later, he's still alive. He died spiritually. Remember at that moment, spiritually, he was now, spirit was dead, separated from God. They all of a sudden realized that they were naked when before they didn't. I, for those that were here Sunday at First in the Atlantic when I preached, I actually showed scripturally, I believe that Adam and Eve had a Shekinah glory. I believe that they actually glowed. And I think that's part of why they could be naked and feel no shame and not really notice the nakedness because they were in the presence of God. And I believe that when they were made in His image, they had a glow kind of like Him. By the way, what happened to Moses if he just spent in his flesh, when he spent 40 days in the presence of God, what happened to him? It started to glow. It just in his face even glowed. I think Adam and Eve actually had a Shekinah glory like God. But the moment they ate of it, they did die. But they died spiritually. But on top of that, now because of this, the woman's pain in childbearing is going to be increased. Because of this, there's going to be thorns and thistles and weeds and all that junk in the earth. You were going to work the ground, but he had already told him. He'd put him in the garden and put him in control of it. He was going to work it to produce. But now the earth's going to fight you. And because of this, you're also 
going to go back to the dust of the earth. Folks, struggle in this life when it comes to death and sickness and all that is tied back ultimately to our sin and to Satan. But go to Luke chapter 13. Look at verses 10 through 17. It says, now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, synagogue indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. Look at what he says here. She had a disabling spirit. This sickness was tied to a demon. She had a disabling spirit, and it affected her in that way. And he even said Satan had bound her for 18 years. Go to Acts chapter 10. Look at verses 34 through 38. He said, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee and after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was, he, was with him. So again, we see that in some instances, sickness is tied to Satan's oppression. But does that mean that if you're sick, it's because of satanic oppression or you have a demon? Okay, that's correct. But again, we build what we believe from Scripture. Can anybody give me a scriptural? Go ahead, Charles. Very good. You, you nailed it. You nailed where we were going. Charles gets the golden sticker. Someone else tried to get it later. They can. But in, he's quoting from John chapter 9, and that's exactly it, where this guy had been blind since birth, and his disciples said, well, who sinned? Did he sin in the womb? Or did his parents sin? Because they had been taught that if you're sick, it's because there's sin. Not all sickness is tied to sin, folks. Some is. That's why in the book of James, we don't have time to go there. But when it talks about, is any of you sick? Have them go to the elders of the church and have them anoint them with oil and heal them and then, and then, and then pray for them. And then he says, if they have sinned, they'll be forgiven. Go ahead, Elise. Isn't there a difference between sickness that comes from your sin and sickness that comes from, like, like demons having the opportunity to, like, put you under temptation, like Job situations? Well, Definitely. Talking, you were talking about like uh, 
about sickness that was related to demons. Mm -hmm. And then your example that all sickness didn't come from demons was the one that he was just talking about. So it's but there, there's more than that. Is what I, that's what, what I'm saying to you is let's go back to John and then I'll come back to your question. In John's situation, they just said, who sinned? And Jesus said, this wasn't tied to anybody's sin. This wasn't tied to anybody's sin. But in essence, it was, if you want to go all the way back to the, the fall. But in this, this specific instance, you know, you don't have to go ask God for forgiveness because of your kidney stones. But at the same time, there are some people, scripturally, who actually have allowed Satan to have some sway in their life. And because of that, he gets, not possession if you're a believer, but he is allowed to have some control and authority in your life because they've lit him. And when he's been given that ability, he actually, it's tied to sin. Now, as Elise just brought out, sometimes Satan's been given authority in people's lives, and it's not tied to your sin. Do you understand what she's saying? Because in the situation with Job, Satan was allowed to do some things. Satan was even allowed to give him the sickness and the boils and, the, and all that kind of stuff. Do you, do, you, do you not understand how deep this gets? That there's a war going on spiritually? That there's something going on deeper? And that's why it's so dangerous for to anybody to come up with a, a philosophy or a doctrine on healing when there's so many different aspects and levels. That's why whenever you go through some things like this, it doesn't hurt to do the sin checklist. Lord, is this tied to sin? Because if it is... I'll confess it, <laughs> you know, I'll forsake it. But other times it's not. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes God's allowed Satan for his purposes, but sometimes people have, by the way, you all do realize that you can invite Jesus into your heart. Do you not understand that you can invite the spiritual realm that's not good in as well? Folks, people mess around with a whole lot of stuff that they don't know what they're messing with. When they play as kids, with, and I'll get right to you, with Ouija boards and, and tarot cards. And, and I have dealt with, as a pastor, so many situations in which people thought it was harmless. Spirit guides and all this stuff. And all you do is open yourself up to this forces of evil. And if you don't have Christ within you, folks, you're in trouble. And even though Christ is in you, if you choose to play with the enemy, that a, a demon cannot possess you, but they can definitely oppress you for a long, long time. I want you to see there's so many levels to this. I saw a hand. Go ahead. You used the word control a minute ago. Mm -hmm. Influence or control? Both. Both. Definitely. The more, the deeper we give, the more we give them authority, the more control they have. That's in, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. A lot of people have over the years tried to, and I've even wrestled with this myself. I'm not so sure I'm there anymore. A lot of people have tried to say that Paul's thorn in his flesh was a physical ailment. It might not have been. There's, there's a depth to this, again, that we have to be willing to acknowledge. We don't know. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, look at verses 7 through 10. This is after he's been talking about this man, who, whether in the body or out of the body, he doesn't know, who was able to see the third heaven. Verse 7, to keep me from being com becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that, I, it, that it, should leave me, should, it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, 
for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Folks, I hope as we get to where we're going tonight, that you understand that this whole issue of sickness, sin, death, all this, first off, goes all the way back to the garden. But along with it, there's so many different levels and things that are happening in the spiritual realm. Don't become one of Job's friends that assumes you know why this is happening to some people. Yes, is it true that some people, if they would just forgive someone, that they would be healed? Yes. And that is what the Bible teaches. Yet at the same time, is all sickness tied to unforgiveness? No. Is it true that some people are bound by Satan because they've invited him in and he's had sway in their life? Yes. But is that the case with all situations? No. Is it not true that sometimes God allows Satan, as in Elisa's illustration, in Job's life to do some things for his purposes? But God has a purpose as well. Yes. And that's why we have to be able to let the whole of Scripture lead us as we build our understanding so that we don't become, well, the church today is full of Job's friends who've got it all figured out why you're going through what you're going through. But don't ever think that if someone's not healed, that Satan is more powerful than God. Don't ever go to that extreme as well. Go to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, look at verse 4. It says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Does anybody remember when we were talking about Jesus coming and proclaiming the kingdom of God? As, remember John the Baptist came and said, Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And then Jesus came on and announced the kingdom. Does anybody remember as we've looked at this, tied to him casting out demons, what one of his great purposes were? in healing and casting out demons when he announced the kingdom? Does anybody remember? And if not, that's okay. It's been a few months. Good. Go to Luke chapter 11. Go to Luke chapter 11. Look at verses 14 through In Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 14, it says, Now he was casting out a demon, this is Jesus, was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. While others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls and if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. 
Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. We, we've already just seen in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, that greater is he who is in you, Christ, than he who is in the world. And that's talking about who? Satan. Remember, Satan had been given authority and dominion. Actually, if you go back to Genesis, God gave dominion on this earth to Adam and Eve. He gave mankind dominion. He says, you get to call the shots. You rule over the fish of the air, the birds of the sea. You're in charge. Did I say fish of the air and the birds of the sea? <laughs> I always have to just watch my family's table to see whether or not I just said something. Because they keep a tally and tell me every week, you said this and you said that. That's okay. At least they're listening. But when Adam and Eve chose to listen to Satan instead of listen to God, they gave him dominion. And he became the ruler of this world, the prince of the power of the air. That's why Satan won lion when he said to Jesus, all the kings of the world belong to me. You just bow down. He got that Satan had dominion over the earth when he was kicked out of heaven. I'm sorry? I thought he automatically had it then. He, no, he had it when he, I, I think scripturally Satan's, this is another whole subject for another time. I think scripturally Satan's fall from heaven ha happened before the creation of the world. Actually, if you do a study, you'll see that when we see in Genesis chapter 1, and I'm going to chase this rabbit fast, what we see in Genesis chapter 1 is all of the visible part of creation. And all of that was good. And so that's why people say, well, Jim, uh, the Genesis 1 said God saw all that he had made and it was good. So Satan couldn't have fallen yet because he was a created being. He had to be good at this point. I said, no, 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 hang on. In Colossians chapter 1, the Bible says that Jesus made the things that are visible and invisible. Job chapter 38 says, when God's talking to Job, he says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth and the morning stars of the angels sang for joy? So the angels existed before the foundations of the world. I think Satan's fall happened before he even went, you know, before the world was even made. He now, at that point, when we see him show up on the scene in Genesis 3, is the crafty one, if you will. And he comes and he tempts Adam and Eve to sin. At that point, he was given dominion because they gave up their dominion because they decided we're going to listen to you instead of God. They gave the authority over to him. And actually, if you look at the scriptures, the Bible said that Satan has been sinning from the beginning. But wait a minute. Ezekiel also tells us that he was created in perfection and beauty. So he couldn't have been sinning from the beginning of his creation because he was created in perfection and beauty. It has to be from the beginning of what we know of as time. And Genesis chapter 1 shows us the visible part of creation. Remember, God made the visible and the invisible. Genesis is only talking about the visible part of creation. And all of that was good. At this point, the invisible part of creation, the angels and the demons, already existed, I believe. So he got a dominion at that time. And now he's the ruler of this world. But Jesus comes in and says... Um, if I'm casting out Satan by Satan, it's a kingdom divided against itself and it's not going to stand. But if I'm coming and casting Satan out by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God is here. Folks, listen to me. I believe without question the scripture teaches that God still heals and does miracles. 
But when he does it, it's for his purposes to reveal his power and his glory to get a hearing in places where they haven't had a saturation, if you will, of the gospel. Or they need that extra, if you will, to reveal the power of God so that they listen to the message. Avoid those who go into healing ministries. Avoid those who think their ministry is just to go and heal. No. The healings, the miracles were done to gain a hearing for the gospel. And when the gospel has been saturated, or if you're in an area, if you will, it's not as necessary to understand the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of Satan. And that's why I want you to understand, as he's doing this, he's showing them the kingdom of God is here. One greater than Satan. All these years you've been in fear and subjection to this one who's doing all this stuff. But there's one more powerful than him. Sure. He sometimes does heal us out of his mercy and love for us. Well, in this situation here, it doesn't even appear that, that Peter's mother-in-law even asked him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. I love how you're bringing that out. That's another whole message from this passage in another direction. But yeah, what she was, she was just saying was, is a part of what God does in our life is so that we'll serve. But again, that's another whole direction we could go. But look closely back at Matthew chapter 8. Here's where I want to kind of dive into in the time we have tonight. Matthew, though, in speaking of Jesus' healing here in Matthew 8, 14 through 17, tells us, that Jesus' healing was a fulfillment of Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. Look again now at verse uh, 16. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Now, what we got to do tonight is we need to go back to Isaiah 53. This is Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6 that he's quoting from. And we need to start taking a look at this. Go to Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. It's important to be reminded that he was doing all of this on the Sabbath. And so it was <laughs> when came after the Sabbath was now finished. Mm-hmm. Now they can bear their burdens and bring people to him that were sick and what have you. So in spite of you can't heal and you can't do this and that on the Sabbath, Jesus was... He's ignoring all their traditions. Definitely ignoring their traditions, yes. All right, now Matthew says illnesses and diseases, while Isaiah uses the words griefs and sorrows. Look at Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows... Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Now, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Some of your translations say, by his stripes we are healed. Isaiah quotes verse 4 specifically, but he's quoting from this section here. And like I said, Isaiah says illnesses and diseases, while Isaiah says, uh, sorry, Matthew says illnesses and diseases, while Isaiah says griefs and sorrows. But all of these are tied to our sin, which Jesus took. Don't miss that. Look at the context. 
Surely he's borne our griefs and our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God. But he was pierced for what? Our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Now, remember, Adam sinned in the garden, and his sin nature and problem passed on to all of us. You do hopefully understand that, right? Adam's sin was passed on through generations to all of us. Does anybody have scriptural proof that Adam's sin passed on to all of us? That's what I'm here for. Go to Romans chapter 4. Go to Romans chapter, sorry, chapter, let's go to chapter 5. Go to Romans 5, look at verses 12 through 19. Romans 5, look at verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For in, sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted when there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But I'm going to keep reading in a little bit here. But let me just make sure you're with me here. Adam sinned. And because of Adam's sin, everybody died. You want proof that everybody died? All the people from Adam all the way until the time of Moses died, even though there was no law. By the way, did those people die? Because they broke the commandment that Adam broke? No. Sin just was passed on to them. It was, that's, a baby's born, folks, he's a sinner. He's got it in him. You didn't have to teach your kids to say mine. You didn't have to teach your kid to bite. You didn't have to teach your kid to hit. You didn't have to teach your kid to say no. You didn't have to teach your kid to want to be in charge of the house, even though they just came into the world. It's in us all. Now, before we go any further, I want to share something with you Adrian Rogers said years ago. Adrian Rogers said this. He said, some of you may have a real problem with the fact that you're accountable for Adam's sin. You say, look, I didn't vote for him. You better be glad that you're accountable for one man's sin. Because if you can be made a sinner... By one man, you can be made righteous by one man. Isn't that cool? Keep reading. But the free gift is not like the trespass. We just saw in verse 14, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And if the free gift is, the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment followed one trespass, it brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more, there's one of those cruise passages, we're going to be studying on the cruise. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, 
So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Then he goes on and says the only reason the law came was just to increase the trespass so people would realize it's there, that their sin problem was there. It's been there all along. You want proof that it had been there all along? Everybody from Adam all the way until the law was given at Moses, they all died, which is the evidence that they had sinned. That's the consequences of the sin. Now, like I said, though, just as Adam's sin was automatically passed on to us, you can be made righteous by identifying with the one man who can make you righteous. How are we identified with Adam? Anybody know? By being born. <laughs> by being born and have, that sin manifests itself. How are we identified with Jesus? By being what? Born again. Not of the flesh or of the will of man, but of the spirit. Through faith in that one man, you become born again, and now the righteousness of Christ automatically is yours. Just like you didn't choose to have his sin pass on to you, but it did. You can, though, choose to receive the righteousness of Christ and it'll pass on to you. I'm sorry? Yeah. But, 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 oh, but what, you're, what you're saying is what Enoch didn't die per se. Well, I, I, I bet you his physical body isn't the one he's got up there. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, so the Bible's real clear that, by the way, for years people have said that the two witnesses have to be Enoch and Elijah, because those are the two people that didn't die, because the Bible says the soul, soul that sins, it must die. Therefore, these two guys haven't died. They've got to be to come back and die, because the witnesses are going to die. That's horrible theology for lots of reasons. One, uh, let me ask you a question. Uh, are you going to be raptured if Jesus comes? Well, are you going to die, or are you just going to go from here to there? Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, we're going to be just, we're, there's a whole bunch of us that's going to experience what Enoch experienced. You don't have to physically, but I bet you Enoch was dying. I bet you his body was decaying just like everybody else's. Go ahead, Jeff. Exactly. He definitely cast his tent off as he went from this life to the next. As the spirit without the body is dead. So in a sense, he did die when his spirit left his body as he went to be with the Lord. We don't know where his body went, but he left it. He left it. I think he is a picture of the rapture because he wasn't even a Jew. He was a Gentile. Listen closely, though, folks, because we really got to get to this in the time we have left. Many have tried to use this section of Scripture here in Isaiah 53, have tried to use this section of Scripture to say that by his wounds or stripes were healed means because of Jesus' death and victory over sin, we who believe will be healed of every sickness in this life. Have you not heard people saying that? That you have enough faith You'll be healed because Jesus died, and by His stripes we're healed, and because He died, we're going to be healed. This doesn't fit, first of all, with the context of Isaiah. Here in this context, Jesus' death is to reconcile us to God and to heal our sin problem and make us righteous. Look at verse 5 again. Go to Isaiah 53 and look at verse 5. I've got to turn back there myself here. But he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. You all know Romans chapter 5, verse 1. We are at peace with God, right? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. We, his death is to reconcile us to God. He took our sin. He paid for all of the sin. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. 
Now, on top of that, verses 11 and 12 say that his death was for our sins and our transgressions so that we could be made righteous before God. Look at chapter 53, verses 11 and 12. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted or credited righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to, the, to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Again, the scripture is very clear. Jesus' death wasn't so that we would be healed on this, in this life. The context is saying that his death and what he's healed us from is the sickness that we had, the death that we had of our spiritual separation from God, and it's because of our sin and our transgressions. That's what he took. Again, like we've already agreed, not all sickness is tied to our specific sin. It is tied to the sin problem, if you will, that traces all the way back to the garden, but it's not all tied to our specific sin. Also, on top of that, Scripture does not teach that we are, as believers, all guaranteed healing in this life because of our connection with Christ. But it does say that because of Christ's death on our behalf for our sin, that one day our bodies will be made perfect again. Let me walk you through this in the time we have. I'm going to show you scripturally how the Bible actually teaches that we who are in Christ look forward to that day when we won't have any more sickness, no more death, no more tears. But in the meantime, we're still going to have that stuff. So any teaching that says his death made it so that you wouldn't be sick and you could always instantly be healed if you just pray and believe doesn't match up with scripture. So again, we don't build our doctrine from a verse. We build our doctrine from the whole of Scripture. So, let me show you what I'm talking about. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2 and look at verse 24. First Peter chapter 2 and look at verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Well, here we have the scripture actually quoting that verse. What's it tied to? His death for our sins so that we would be made righteous before God. Isn't that what Isaiah said? Isn't that what we just looked at? The context of Isaiah said his death was for our sins and then he made the many to become righteous. Here, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says, By his wounds were healed spiritually. He's died for our sins so that we become righteous. It has nothing to do with physical healing has nothing to do with physical healing. Go now to Philippians chapter 3. Again, don't hear me wrong. Does God still heal? Yes, and if He chooses to, He can. And there's nothing wrong with asking Him to. But don't listen to those who say that the Scripture says because He died on the cross, that means you'll never be sick or you can be healed if you believe it enough. Because that doesn't match up with Scripture. Philippians chapter 3, look at verses 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body, that by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. So we're waiting for Christ to come and do what? Transform these bodies into His body. In the meantime, we're stuck with these lowly bodies. Go to Romans chapter 8.
Look at verses 18 through 25. Paul says, remember at this point he's already seen heaven. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Again, Paul says the suffering we go through in this life isn't worth being compared to the glory that's to be revealed. And folks, he then goes on and says creation. Remember, did creation sin, by the way? Besides Adam and Eve, part of creation. Did, crea did the earth sin? But because of man's sin, creation was subjected to futility and frustration. And creation's waiting for the day in which the church will be raptured and the sons of God will be revealed because creation knows they're next on the agenda. Everything's going to happen in its order. And that's what actually goes on during the millennial, I'm sorry, the tribulation period prior to the millennial kingdom. As Jesus opens the seals, the church already been raptured at this time. The earth is next. Every time he opens a seal, something happens on the earth. And they go through a tormentous period. But at the end of that time period, the earth is renewed. The Dead Sea becomes fresh. And things, people live a long, long, long time again like they did back in the day. And, and earth, the creation's waiting and we who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Anybody want to amen that one? Don't we, don't we say, all right, Lord, let's go. My back hurts. <laughs> Lord, I'm getting older and, and I'm sickly. Lord, let's go. I'm ready. Go to Revelation 21. Revelation 21, look at verses 3 and 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. This is the new heaven and the new earth. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Again, as we keep looking, there's more. The whole of Scripture teaches that you're not guaranteed healing in this life. Oh, you've been healed by His death. By His wounds, you have been healed. You've been made right with God. Your sin problem has been removed, and you're at peace with God. That sickness that you had has been removed, and he's now made it possible for you to be made righteous. And as I had the privilege of teaching on a little bit this past week at First Indy Atlantic, I then talked about the fact that the Scripture teaches, and I'm going to show, take you there now, that that glory that we lost because of sin, even though we were made in the image of God, man was made in the image of God, let's, look, let's be honest, look around. Do you see the image of God right now? Do you see God's image when you look around at this world? Do you see love? Do you see peace and joy? Do you see generosity and kindness? No, the image of God has been marred. But that glory is renewed to us 
when we get saved and Christ himself, who is the image of God, comes to indwell us. And the Bible says that even though our bodies will not be redeemed until the rapture, in this time period between when he makes us alive again spiritually and when he gives us our new bodies, it is possible for his glory to be shown in these bodies, not by physical healing, but by the fruits of the Spirit as we continue with the physical ailment. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Again, please don't hear me say that God won't heal you. He may. He still does. Keep asking. Those of you that have been praying for me, pray that He does. Don't stop. But at the same time, when He does and He doesn't, He has a purpose and He's teaching at all times. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, look at verses 7 through 11. But we have this treasure, Christ in us, in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Now, let me, does anybody remember the story of Paul and Silas and how they were beaten and bleeding and put in the, the cell there in the inner stock, center cell with the stocks? And then the jail fell apart and the doors flew open, the chains fell off, and none of the prisoners left. They ran and said, what must we do to be saved? Why? Because even though Paul and Silas were, had been beaten and were bleeding, what were they doing? They were praising God. They were singing hymns and praising God. They weren't saying, oh God, heal me. They were praising him for the fact that he had a purpose and a reason. And in their suffering, he revealed his glory by not healing them. Keep reading here in chapter 4. Go down to verses 16 through 18. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for, an, for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You know, as awesome as Lazarus' being raised from the dead was, kind of a bummer, because he had to die again. He had to die again. We keep looking for the seen miracle, and we ignore the unseen one that is even greater. Folks, you've been made right with God if you're in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm going to close tonight by Showing you a scripture and then wrapping up what I think Matthew was saying in Matthew chapter 8. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. Look at verses 32 and following. In this chapter here, the Hebrew writer has been listing the men and women of faith throughout history of the Bible. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, others, Moses. But look at verse 32. 
And what more shall I say? For time, chapter 11, verse 32, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of the fire, escaped the edge of the sword. Man, this is the kind of preaching I want to hear. Amen. Were made strong out of weakness. They became mighty in war. That's the God I serve. Put foreign armies to flight. Yeah, buddy, that's, we're getting there. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Amen. Fill the sanctuary with this kind of preaching. Some were tortured. Refusing to accept relief so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. Wait a minute, didn't we just read in verse 34, some escaped the edge of the sword? Others were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts, in mountains, and in dens, in caves of the earth, in all of these, both those who received those miracles in this life and those who didn't, all of these, though commended through their faith, didn't receive what was promised. That's what's still to come, folks. Since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. They were waiting for what is to come. Does God heal? Yes. Should we ask? Yeah, we miss out on a lot that we don't ask for. Should we expect that we're going to be healed in this life? Not physically, but we've already been healed. We are healed already. If you're made right with God, you're no longer spiritually dead. You've been made alive. And the scripture teaches that we are waiting for Jesus to come and to redeem these bodies. And he may, for his purposes, choose to have us continue with sickness and continue with struggling. There's nothing wrong with doing a sin checklist. There's nothing wrong with saying, God, whatever your purposes are, I want you to reveal it to me. Paul said that. God said, actually, here, I do have a purpose. It's to keep you from becoming conceited. And to keep you that way, I'm going to leave whatever this thorn in your flesh is there. Okay, Paul says, then I'll embrace it. If that's the plan you have for my life, I'll embrace it. Because I'm not living for this life. I'm living for the one to come. We set our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. And how many of us have gotten mad at God because he didn't do what we asked him to do, which would be a visible something, and we have never appreciated the invisible something that he's already done. Go back to Matthew chapter 8. So what was Matthew saying when he said Jesus' healing people was to fulfill Isaiah 53. He was referring to Jesus' ultimate fulfillment. Look at what he says here. This was to fulfill, verse 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. He was referring to Jesus' ultimate fulfillment of that passage in the atonement where Jesus bore all of our sickness, sorrow, and grief because of sin. His healing and his casting out of demons showed his power over Satan and his concern for our predicament. Like you brought out earlier, Charlie. No, this sickness was not because he sinned and not because his parents sinned. But God allowed the sickness so that he could receive glory. 
Jesus' death on the cross was to cover our sin and pay for all of our sin. Is sickness tied to that? Yes. Are the demons involved in that whole mess? Sure. And when Jesus came on the scene, he was showing the world that someone greater than Satan is here, and he cares. He cares. He'll heal you if you don't even ask. But sometimes, because his purposes are better and they're greater, when you ask, sometimes he'll say no. Because the real issue isn't whether or not we're healed in this life physically. The real issue is whether or not we're healed in this life spiritually. And that's why all these people that missed out on what he was teaching kept looking for the next sign, the next sign, the next sign, when all he said was, um, I'm here. Everything you need is right here. So, folks, my encouragement to you is this. As we continue on our study of uh, Matthew, does anybody see what your heading is next? What's your heading next on the verses that we're going to look at in two weeks? The cost of following Jesus. Well, that doesn't sound like the preaching that fills churches. Avoid those who teach your best life now. I don't want my best life now. I want my best life in the one to come. I love you. I'm going to be in Virginia next week. We'll see you in two weeks. Go ahead. There we go. For those who couldn't hear what Jerry said, listen to what Jerry said. And some of you may know this, some of you may not. Jerry's going blind. He's got a sickness in his eyes that has already taken one of his eyes. You can't see, hadn't seen out of that one. And the other one, the doctors so, say it's imminent. And he's not able to drive anymore, and he's been driving for 62 years. And he was just simply saying that tonight's study has hit home for him and been helpful because of the fact that he knows that the answer is no <laughs> to the physical healing. Unless God does something that he hasn't been saying, but he knows that he'll see. And you're going to go through a depth of your walk with the Lord when your sight completely goes that you won't be able to explain to other people unless they go there themselves. These light, sounds crazy, and momentary afflictions are providing a greater glory. A greater, greater glory. Thank you. That's a great way to conclude our study. We'll see you all in two weeks. Thanks.